What is love? Some say love is a feeling. Others demand that it's strictly a choice. Some say love is a chemical reaction, the product of biological wiring and simply an evolutionary tool of survival. Others hold love as a reflection of the divine, connected to something so mysterious and enchanting that our feeble attempts to explain it start with a flying baby shooting arrows at us. While there may be little agreement on what this thing actually is, everyone does agree on something. Human beings are lovers. We see it in virtually every culture throughout history, including our own. The ancient Sumerians are credited as developing the first written language, and not surprisingly, the oldest known love poem in the world is written in their script. As soon as we could write, we wrote love poems. As soon as we had texting, we had this. And today, we browse the internet at lightning speeds, seeking instant connection to the things and people we love. Perhaps not surprisingly, the Bible is extremely concerned with love. The word is used about 550 times, from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. You may be familiar with some of the more famous passages, like 1 Corinthians 13 or Song of Solomon 8-7. In Matthew, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment doesn't center around a list of bad things to avoid doing or even what good things we should do. The question the Bible asks before anything else is not, what have you done? But instead, what do you love? The Bible asserts there is no greater predictor of the course of our lives than that question. So while we know love makes us do crazy things, love makes us do noble things, love makes us do stupid things, love makes us do courageous things, have we ever considered, what if it's love that makes us do everything? That's the power of love. fun to be inspired to preach by Huey Lewis. That's never happened to me before. Well, I am very excited about this new series on the power of love, and I wanted to tell you as we kick it off about a day uh, seven and a half years ago where God taught me something real important about love. Uh, it was a day that's captured by this picture I want to show you. Can you tell what, what's going on here in this picture? That's me, and that little guy there is my son, Jake. And Jake was a preemie. You say, wow, was he small? Yeah, he was a preemie. He was uh, only three pounds when he was born. And let me just give you the background behind this picture. It was, it was a profoundly confusing time of life. Jake and I had been given an opportunity to meet a birth mom and pray about potentially adopting 
her son. She was still a couple months away from delivery, so we thought we had lots of time to pray about it. Well, two months early, Jake was born, and we got a phone call saying, come to Grand Rapids, your son is born. Our son, wait a minute, we're just thinking about this, you know, and they said, get here now. And so we drove to Grand Rapids as fast as we could, and I came in, and the poor little guy was just struggling. Uh, Jake's had an oxygen-deprived birth. His lungs were not working well, and they struggled to intubate him and get him breathing. And he was really, really, uh, his life was on the line. It was a pretty scary time. And the doctor looks to me and he says, are you Jake's dad? And I'm, well, yeah, kind of. Well, actually, that's a easy. He didn't stop to hear my whole explanation. He said, take off your shirt. And I'm like, excuse me? And he said, I need you to take off your shirt. And I said, why? And he said to me, we need to do skin-to-skin contact. Uh, Kangaroo care is what some people refer to it. And I just said to him, sir, uh, you know, whether or not I'm his father or not is questionable, and I really don't feel comfortable taking off my shirt in public. This is the NICU, the neonatal intensive care, you know, lots of people. And I'm like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And he said, Mr. Griffin, let me explain. And he started saying that this is just not something cute to do, but Jake's very survival may be on the line. He said, studies have indicated that the importance of love, that the warmth and the the touch and the care that's conveyed by this type of connection is so important. He said, Jeff, studies have shown that lungs heal and develop more quickly when the baby is cared for. If you just leave them neglected in the incubator and just figure they're okay, you're wrong. He said to me, you know, studies have indicated that the, the weight of a premature baby will grow, which is something very important. You want them to gain weight quickly. Babies gain weight more when they are loved. He says the stay in the hospital is shorter when they are loved. And then he said the survival rate is higher when they are loved. At that point, I'm like, okay, 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 okay. I'll do it. And so for hours... Every day, I forget exactly what the schedule was, but it was a lot. I'm a lazy guy, so laying and napping turned out to be... But I would hang with Jake and just let him sit there. And uh, I learned something about the way God made us biologically to need love. And you may say, well, that's just premature kids. No, it's not. Uh, scientists have done, stu- done studies of adults and found that if two adults get the same disease, the one that's surrounded by love, family, friends, God, will thrive and get greater victory over that disease than the one who's not. Uh, they've done st- studies of hospital stays And the ones that are visited and surrounded by loved ones have shorter hospital stays than those who are not. And they've done studies of lifespan and found that people who are well-loved live on the average 15 years longer than those who don't. I mean, this is biologically part of how God wired us up. 
Just as we need oxygen and we need food, we need love. And here's the problem. We live in a, you know, if Jake had an oxygen-deprived birth, well, we live in a love-deprived world. More than we realize. Because we were intended to live with this direct conduit of the love of God into our souls. That's what God made us for. He made us very needy of love, but he made us to connect with him so that his love of a superior kind would just be gushing into our hearts. Well, you know what happened in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. Humanity rebelled. Adam and Eve turned from God. And ever since then, there's been this breakdown relationally between people and God. And the result of that is devastating in so many ways. And one of the ways that's at the top of the list is that we're living without the love we were made for. And what's the result? When you don't have that love that you were made for, we have insecurities, you know, had we been in tune with that love, we wouldn't be insecure at all. But as a result, all of us, we wonder, do I matter? And so much striving in life to accomplish and to earn money and to be as good as the next person is a desperate attempt to fill that insecurity that's just there because of our disconnect from the love we were made for. Uh, there's, there's an emptiness in us because we don't have that love in full stream into our hearts. And so many people strive to fill the emptiness in their soul by doing all these things, many of them self-destructive behaviors called sin that are a desperate attempt to fill the emptiness in our hearts, but they're just hurting us. Misery is all over planet Earth and misery in part is in us because of that disconnect from the love we were made for. And so this series is huge. You know, sometimes uh, some, some of the men are like, oh, man, a girly series, you know, love. Don't be that way. You know, you may be tough as nails, but deep down we are all the same and in desperate need of the Father's love. I say the Father's love. This is a series where we're going to study God's love for us, we're going to study our love for others, our love for God. It comes out of 1 John. Because John, the Apostle John, he understood the importance of love more than anyone else, I believe, in the first century church. The reason I say that is that John tuned in to Jesus' teaching on love with greater sensitivity, greater recollection than any of the other disciples. For example, look at his gospel, the gospel according to John. In his gospel, love is mentioned 56 times, all right? Uh, way more than the other gospels. In fact, the next highest gospel is the gospel of Luke, where love's mentioned 19 times. So more than twice, almost three times as much in the gospel of John. John emphasized the teachings of Jesus on love more than the other gospels did. And not only that, John expounded, you know, the letters or the epistles are where these apostles wrote to the churches. And John, his biggest letter is called 1 John. It's actually not that big, but even there, he expounds on love more than any of the other epistles. In fact, John's letter, 1 John, touches on the concept of love 52 times and just four pages in my Bible. The next highest epistle is Ephesians 
at 24 times. So John's more than twice as much there too. John was referred to as the apostle of love by many Bible scholars. And understandably, John was attuned when Jesus said it's the most important commandment. John was listening. And then John said, well, then teach me on love and let me teach others. I was going through first, not planning on this series, but going through 1 John for my own personal quiet time. And as I did, I realized this is an advanced level course on love. And it ministered to me so powerfully, I thought, I need to teach the people of the Compass Church this. And so uh, here we are. The power of love, a study of love out of 1 John. I want to clarify, some of you were hoping we were going to tackle every verse in 1 John, and we can't do that. We will be looking at the verses that teach on love. I would encourage you to go through the whole book of 1 John. It is dynamite. But our study together will be focusing in on what did he say about love. And this first message I'm calling the source of love. All right? And it's out of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let me, let me read them to you. John says in these two verses, Let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, they don't know God, because our God is love. Have you heard those verses before? Many of you have. Some of us, when we were a kid, used to sing those verses at camp. Those are Two very, very precious verses that I'd like to spend some time reflecting on phrase by phrase with you, shall we? Let's start off with this, let us love one another. The the vision that John gives us that comes right out of the teachings of Jesus is that the community, the, the one another of Christ, and that's who John wrote to, he wrote to the churches, we should be a community that love each other. The vision of Almighty God is that though we live in a love-deprived world, that we would be so devoted to loving one another that our reputation would be love. Jesus said that people should know you're my disciple by your love. That is to be the defining mark of, of our community. And so let me just ask, at the Church of Christ at large, Do people look at Christians and say, the number one thing I think of when I think of Christians is love? Unfortunately, I don't think so. Often, non-Christians, when they think of Christians, they think of judgmentalism and hypocrisy and other things before love. And we are called to change that. We are called to grow and to become experts Beautiful experts in love. Uh, You and I are both failing in this area to some degree. And the call of God is on us to grow in our understanding and our contribution to God's vision that we would be a people of love. That folks would hear of the Compass Church. Folks would visit the Compass Church. And they would just say, there is a love in this place from another world. I want that to be true of me. And I want that to be true of you. And I long for that to be true of us. Let's continue. So, when I look at this word love, I need to get into the Greek for a moment. Would you allow me? There are five words, love, in this passage. Did you see them? 
And in all five of them, it's the same word that's translated love, same Greek word that's translated love, and that is agape. Have you ever heard of agape? It's kind of a popular Greek term, but you need to know it wasn't always popular. In fact, in the first century, when the biblical authors grabbed this term to use it as the divine love, the love God has for us and the type of love God calls us to have for others, it was not a real popular word for love. It was there, but it was largely overlooked, not real favored as far as terms for love goes. But the reason the biblical scholars grabbed it is they said, we need this love that we're seeing, it's, it's a different kind of love. It's, if we just use the old words that we've always used to describe love, it's not going to be accurately communicating to people because they're going to think of normal human love. But this is love of another kind. When they looked at the love that was expressed through Jesus Christ, they said, that's not normal. It's undeserved love that Christ had. And so they kind of redefined agape as undeserved love. When I say undeserved, do you know what I mean? Normal human love is always deserved. I am inspired by your beauty to love you. Or I am uh, moved by your kindness and I feel you're worthy of love. It's always about you somehow evoking love out of me. But that's not how agape love works. Agape love is undeserved. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, uh, back up, God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wait a minute, that's not normal love. You're saying that we didn't deserve it at all, and yet he loved us. Yeah, that's agape love. It's love of a different sort, undeserved love favor and affection and love. Now, I say affection, but I should... Uh, oh, let, me, let me back up. I, I, uh, I, I don't want to convey, convey that this love is all gushy. See, normally love is all about emotion, right? Uh, agape love is different than just the normal rush of emotion, But I also don't want to convey that agape love is just this hard, cold decision and it doesn't involve emotion. It does. The the key to understanding it is this, that human love goes this way. Uh, Human love starts with emotion and then moves to a decision, right? Do you notice how that works? We have this, oh, she's so beautiful. I will chase her. See, the decision to chase is based on the gush of emotion, Or, you are so good to me, I will serve you. Uh, You know, it's all emotion-based. We feel something, so we do something. But divine love, or agape love, is reversed. There is a decision first, and God blesses with the emotion. We say, man, that guy at work drives me crazy. I can't stand him. And then we hear God say, love him. I don't want to love him. Love him. And we step and we say, all right, I am choosing to love this individual. I am going to serve them and show kindness and love. And you know what God does? 
to our surprise, God follows up that decision with emotion. And we begin to feel his love for that individual in our heart. And it can catch us off guard sometimes. We're like, oh, never thought I'd feel anything kind towards that individual, but I'm doing it. That's agape love. Not only is agape love volitional like that, um, it's unconditional. What, what that means is most love will last as long as the conditions last. But the minute the conditions change, the love changes. With agape love, it is relentless. It just keeps going. No matter what, I will love. Notice the conditional nature of human love. Look at, uh, for example, uh, someone's love for their parents. When you were a kid, you start off just gushing with love for mom and dad when you're little, right? They're like, they're my hero. They're so amazing. I love them. And then the kid enters adolescence, right? Gone. <laughs> You'll get a kick out of this. My, my 15-year-old daughter, Jora, she shared with me the other day. She said, Dad, you know what bugs me? She said, the people at the Compass Church, they just think you're so amazing. <laughs> And she said, and I know that you are so ordinary. Isn't that great? I used to be her Prince Charming. I used to be everything to that little girl, but she's, you know, growing up and she's recognizing that I am very ordinary. Now, Jorah still loves me. It's just more of the pity kind of love, I suppose. (laughs) George says, you're such a nerd, Dad, but I love you. (laughs) So as a child grows, that love changes. Marriage love changes, does it not? You know, at first, romantic love is, oh, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. I'm hyperventilating just in seeing you, you know. Long, long phone calls and love letters and some write poems. Does that last? No. (laughs) It's kind of you know, troubling. At some point, you know, into the marriage, you're like, where'd that go? You know, what happened to that? Uh, I I used to just, you know, get all fluttery. Now I am annoyed by this person (laughs) so much, you know. The romance is gone. Rather than passing love letters, we're passing gas in front of each other. And that's, you know, pretty much all it is. And at that point, we say, there better be another kind of love. Because if I'm... If I'm just relying on that early romantic infatuation, you know, it's gone. Thankfully, there is another kind of love. Agape love is different. Our love for our children is conditional so often. You know, there's some days when we just look at them and we're like, oh, you are the sweetest child in the whole world. I just want to hug you. And other days we're like, ah, you're driving me crazy, kid, you know, and, so that normal human love comes and it goes, depending on seasons, stages of life, stages of relationship. But agape love is relentless, and it never stops. So agape love, one, one more thing about it. I heard one scholar, uh, a professor, uh, uh, I'm forgetting his name now, Mark Buchanan, he called it unprovoked love. And I thought, oh, that's really good. Unprovoked love. Normally we speak of unprovoked in connection with anger 
or violence or rage, you know. And we, we say it's an ugly thing. We, we say that was an unprovoked outbreak of violence, meaning that the victim didn't deserve it. The victim didn't do anything. The victim was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And if you want to understand unprovoked violence, you need to look at the perpetrator because something's wrong in them. Deep down in them, they're messed up. So the explanation for unprovoked rage is not looking at the victim, but looking at the perpetrator and saying, what's going on in you? So when we turn it into positive and reply that to love, and you want to understand unprovoked love, agape love, you can't look at the loved and say, what about you has brought about this affection out of the other? That's not how agape love works. You can look at us, and the truth is we're unlovable. We are sinners, messed up people. God should not love us if it were about our lovableness. But rather, you need to look to the lover and say, something's going on in God. Something beautiful, very deep down. The explanation for this love is not found in the victim, but the perpetrator. It's found not in the loved, the beloved, but the lover. And this verse actually helps us find that. Let me go to the last phrase. Did you catch what the last phrase of this is? It says, whoever does not love, if you don't love, you don't know God. Because I'll tell you what, God is love. He is agape love. What a, what a beautiful three-word statement. What is our God like? He doesn't occasionally show agape love. He is agape love. You want to understand why he loves us? You've got to look deep into who he is. And at the core of our God, as we seek to wonder at his character, we discover he has a capacity to love that doesn't make sense to us, but we praise him for it. He is love. Well, let's continue. As we now begin to or continue to work through this verse, I want to point to another phrase. It says, love comes from God. That, that makes sense. If we're called to love one another with agape love, and if God is agape love, it would seem that we would get this agape love from the source, and that's God. And sure enough, this phrase, love comes from God. We love each other by recognizing that love comes from him. In other words, if you receive agape love from God, then you are able to give agape love to others. Later on in this chapter, uh, John says, we love because he first loved us. This flow of love is essential to understand. And maybe this would be helpful. I, I have this device I bought for uh, my backyard. I, I have a very dark backyard, and there's a wood pile that scares me. And so uh, I got this light, and it's a solar-powered light. You know how a solar-powered light works? It absorbs the light energy from the sun. And it takes that energy and it stores it up in this battery. And then when the time's right, the light sensor turns on the light. Oh, actually, I think it's a motion sensor. Turns on the light and shines on the individual who comes. And that's how love works 
in our world. Agape love, not natural love. Natural love doesn't need this dynamic. But agape loves, you must be the recipient of this love from another kind. It comes from God. He's the source of it. I like the, the son being the source of it because that speaks to my biological background. I did uh, studies back in biology, and you know this, that all of the energy in our ecosystem originates with the sun. That plants have the capacity to absorb that and turn it through photosynthesis into energy, and then the cow comes and eats the plants and absorbs the energy into the cow, and then we come and eat the cow and absorb the energy into us. And love flows in a similar way. The Son, the Lord, is the nuclear reaction, if you will, that generates agape love. And we receive it from him, and if we receive it from him, our battery is charged up, and we have that agape love to give to others. And so, uh, with, with that said, um, let me go to the next phrase. It says, everyone who loves has been born of God. So if we want this flow of love to go from the source God into us and then out of us to others in our lives. Here's what's needed. Everyone who loves and everyone who becomes an effective conduit of God's love must be born of God. This is a statement pointing to the necessity of our conversion. The Bible is clear that the world is broken and far from God, but that God invites us into a reconciled relationship with him through what Christ has done on the cross. And the Bible says that in that moment when we seek reconciliation with God through Christ, we say, Jesus, be my forgiver. Jesus, be my leader. In that moment, God says, in that moment we're reconciled, and it's not just a relational reconciliation. It's a new start in life. Jesus described it as being born, born again. This phrase is it's born of God, meaning that this second go in life, we have a whole new nature. We reflect our Father. We are a chip off the old block, if you will. We're born of God this time. Actually, in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible, God declares, I will take away your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In the moment of our reconciliation with God through Christ, something changes in us. Regeneration is the theological term. And we become able to reflect God in his agape love. Going back to the light analogy, if, if this were just hollow pieces of plastic, they couldn't work. And similarly, the unregenerate human being lacks the capacity to be a conduit of agape love. And so what's needed first is internal transformation. The wiring needs to be installed. And that's what happens in the moment of conversion. We need to be born of God. But that's not it. Everyone who loves is a good conduit. They're born of God. They've had that internal transformation. And they know God. That's the second thing. And you, this is real easy to misunderstand. Someone say, oh, I know there's a God. No, 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 that's not what no God means. In fact, these two words, no God, are packed with meaning. And in seminary, I was taught about Hebraic epistemology. Doesn't that sound exciting? It actually is. Let me try to explain it. Epistemology is the study of knowledge and how we gain knowledge, how we know something. And Hebraic means the Hebrews' understanding of how we know something. And in the Hebrew culture, knowledge came from experience. 
You know God because you've encountered him. You've experienced him. In fact, uh, if you look in the old King James Version, it was kind of interesting. They would say things like, Adam knew Eve, and as a result, poor children. And you're like, huh? Well, the other understanding of knowledge there is sexual intimacy. And that's how the old version, modern versions say, you know, they uh, were sexually intimate and a child arose. But knowledge, know him, know her, that's how they refer to it. The Hebrew, if they were counting on snow skiing, they didn't have snow skiing back then. But the Hebrew would say, you can't read a book on snow skiing and say you know snow skiing. You've got to get out there on the mountain and feel the air and put on the skis and take off flying down the hill. Then, once you've experienced it, you know it. And so when this passage says, we must know God, it's asking the question, have you experienced this God? And experienced him in this context means, have you known his love? Have you encountered his love? It's one thing to know that he loves you out there. It's another thing to experience being surrounded by God's love, being loved by God. I I, I try to do this. This is going to sound weird to some of you, but you should know that I daily pursue encounters with the love of God. I will sit and I'll just say, all right, let me just be reminded of the biblical truth. The Bible all over says, God loves you, Jeff, with so how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for me? It's huge! The Bible says it. And I'm going to meditate on it. And I'm going to ask you, God, whisper to my soul that you love me. You say, you really do that? Whisper to my soul how I'm your boy. You really do that? You say, you're arrogant. No, no, no. God tells me to do this, to pursue his face and seek fresh encounters with how absolutely precious I am to him. You know, with my son, when I put Jake to bed, every single night I ask him the same two questions, and he doesn't tire of them. Goofy questions. I don't even know where they came about. I said, Jake, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't remember if your dad loves you, the answer is... And he says, yes. And then I said, Jake, and if you lined up the little, all the little boys in the whole world, and God said I could pick anyone to be my son, do you know who I'd pick? He says, me. And before I, I put him, I mean, every night for years, he'll say, Dad, you didn't ask me my questions. <laughs> and I'll come in, and I'll start. Sometimes he goes, yes, me, before I even get him out <laughs> I understand as his dad, he needs to bask in that love daily. And the father understands I need it too. And so, unashamed, I pursue basking in the embrace of Almighty God as he whispers over and over again, I chose you, Jeff, you are mine. And in case you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't remember if I love you, I do. I wanted to close with a story. Uh, this happened Friday, actually. I got a call from my wife. I was studying for this sermon, and she called. And I don't even remember what I said, but apparently I said something that was real sweet because uh, she just goes, What's up? 
She goes, lately you have been so loving towards me. What's going on? And, and I said, is that a problem? And she's like, she's like, no, I like it. Keep it going. She said, it's just not normal. <laughs> you ever notice sometimes a compliment has a hidden criticism in it? You know what I mean? <laughs> Now, I'm real glad Jen had forgotten at the time that this week I'm starting a new series on love because had she remembered that, she would have said, oh, I know why. You were thinking it too, weren't you? You were saying, I know why. She would say, you're just trying to get your act together a few days before you preach on it so you're not a complete hypocrite. <laughs> she didn't remember and I didn't tell her. And, 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 and had she assumed that, that would not have been entirely true. It would have been partially true. Partially true in this. Yes, my lovingness lately is probably because of this series, but not because I'm trying to love her more. I'm not. I wasn't trying or thinking intentionally about loving her at all. The intentional part has been, I have been trying to connect with God's love for me at a whole nother level these days. And I've been doing it. And as I have basked in God's affirming affection for my soul, I've been full of love. And it has been spilling out on Jen unintentionally. It's the beauty of this dynamic found in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God, the source of love, all love comes from him. And that agape love from another kind can so fill our hearts when we have been born of him and know him and drink it in that it just falls out of us into those around us. It works. Let's do it. You know, we're going to close uh, the message here by we're going to actually receive our benevolence offering. One of the things that we used to do was always do the benevolence offering after communion. And we still may do it that way sometimes, but we're going to look for weeks where the fit is right. We're still going to collect it monthly, but it may be on different weeks of that month. And, and we put it in the service here because benevolence is such a great expression of this love. Uh, it's, it's, benevolence is money that we give to those in our congregation who are really going through a hard time and hurting. And, you know, for us, it's just like, Lord, you've given us so much. You've been so good to us. And we're overflowing and want to bless others in response. So let's pray together, and then we'll receive our benevolence offering. Lord, we are grateful for agape love. We love the fact that you, without explanation or understanding you overflow with love for us and God we've never none of us have connected with that love like we should we want to know your love we want to feel it we want to come alive in it and we want to show it to the world around us Jesus teaches how to love you demonstrated love on the cross for us in the most extraordinary measure that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Help us to know and show agape love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.